Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and I'm pleased to say my guest this week has a strong pedigree in the hospitality industry and shares with me some of the lessons he's learned in his experience through the years. Piers Adam became one of the biggest names in bars and nightclubs in London, but has in recent years turned his attention to Scotland. Having run famous venues such as Mihiki, The Punch Bowl with Guy Ritchie, Whiskey Mist and others, Piers has had his fair share of experience when it comes to opening businesses and making them successful. In our chat today, you'll hear Piers tell me about how he came to discover the Craigellachie Hotel and to buy it, building up a business which put community at the heart of it. He describes this as his most joyous and rewarding project ever. He tells me about the thought and care that's gone into this business, as well as confirming the near legendary status of their opening party, which hosted such famous faces as Kate Moss, Noel Gallagher and Bobby Gillespie. Piers offers some great insight into the hospitality industry and what he sees as being the future of an industry that's been crippled by costs. He also discusses the famous Spirit of Speyside Whiskey Festival, which will take place at the end of April. He talks about what it's brought to the area and how the Craigellachie has become the heart of it. I'm joined by Piers Adam, businessman and owner of the Craigellachie Hotel in Speyside. Hi Piers, how are you? Very well, very well. Thank you very much. I'm very honoured to be on your show. Thank you very much. It's lovely to have you. So if we could just start right from the sort of, not beginning, but for anyone that doesn't know who you are or what it is um, you do or businesses you own, could you just tell us a little bit about your businesses that you have just now? So sort of going back is my mother's side are... Well, my boys are eighth generation Londoners from my mum's side um, and my father's side was Scots and they came down, his parents came down after the First World War to find work um, because there wasn't much going on back then. So I was brought up in North London. My mum was an art teacher and my in Woodgreen Comprehensive School and my dad was a lawyer. That was sort of late 70s. I left school in 82, and back then there was just mass unemployment, huge inflation things, quite similar to what's happening in the economy now, which is really, really scary. And I'm basically unemployable. So I think I held down a job at Harrods as a porter packer for about three weeks until they found me sleeping on the trolley (laughs) during a, a, a holiday time. But back then I then got into bars and clubs, because my love is always people, people meeting one another. And there was opportunities back then to promote. So I knew quite a lot of people. So I started off promoting. Then I got a couple of clubs and 
expanded through that. Um, and, you know, like any entrepreneur, you have ups and downs and there wasn't naturally a guidance or a complete structure. But I sold a business about 20 years ago. And then I advised a um, Starwood Capital who owned W Hotels out in America and they wanted to come to become an international brand. And they chose London as their first port of call. And I didn't, I, you know, naturally I'm very proud of being from this island, but I didn't really understand why they chose London as opposed to Paris or, or Barcelona or even Amsterdam. And I realised that it was pretty much the capital of the world, that so many people come in and out and travelling, as well as it being incredibly multicultural. You know, more languages are spoken in London than any other city in the world. And their business model was that they wanted to outsource food and beverage restaurants and they just wanted to sell sleep at the highest possible rent, at the highest possible room rate, at the largest occupancy level. And they felt that by having a local operator, um, that would attract people. So if you're thinking, oh, I want to go to New York, where's a cool bar, or where's a cool restaurant, I'm going to stay at that hotel. So that was their model. And I had to advise them on the two different locations they were thinking of. And it shows that I was such a shit advisor that they chose the other one that I suggested. Um, but it was fascinating to understand the mindset of these Ivy League, really intelligent kids. Well, kids, they, they were young men and women. And um, the annoying thing, Thursday night was always my big night. So I wouldn't get back till about six in the morning. And for some unknown reason, they used to phone me at about 8 a.m. my time. So uh, I, I don't think that really helped me in my cause. But it was fascinating. They'd say, right, who lives in this area? Who works in this area? Is it private finance? Is it art? Is it all different things? And they really wanted to split the atom to understand which was the right concept to go in there. So who's going to be the next Paul Oakenfold or Pete Tong? Who's going to be the next Jamie Oliver or Gordon Ramsay or Marco Pierre White? And then I came up with suggestions. And it was at that point, it was only six months that I realised that this island's unbelievably significant in certain things. 65% inventions, innovations are from Britain and Ireland in the last 200 years. So I thought that with that, people buy into our music, our fashion, our film. We're really creative. And I thought that if you could come up with a stable of concepts, you could then franchise them out globally. And, you know, I'm not... It's very kind of you to say that I'm a businessman. I'm not really, I don't, I, I'm sort of more entrepreneurial. I like, I sort of got a vision and thinking what could happen. So we did Mahiki. I did the Punch Bowl with Guy Ritchie. We did Whiskey Mist and we did a number of other venues. They all were quite successful, but we were doing 27% of Grey Goose sales, which is a vodka through the venues. 27% of the UK sales were through our venues. So it was then that I was approached to set up a marketing agency to launch a rival called Ciroc Vodka, which was owned by Diageo. Puff Daddy was the face of it in America. I'm not saying I'm the Puff Daddy or was the Puff Daddy of, of, of Britain, but they wanted to put it in a more subtle way through venues. And um, we took it from 3,000 to 156,000 cases in about seven years, I think. But it was at that point during that thing, my old man had been evacuated back to Scotland during the Second World War in the bombing because it was sort of we lived in East North London and because of the air bombings. So he was scattered with his three brothers up here. And before he popped off, my wife said, you should take him back to Scotland. And I'd never been to Scotland. 
I don't know why I hadn't been to Scotland. Anyway, but I came up here and I had a school friend of mine, my oldest school friend, who had a number of hotels. And I said, Pete, have you got anywhere in this region up in Speyside? He said, yeah, I do. So I came up and I walked into this hotel, which was like something from Little Britain. And it was just an awful hotel experience. And the chap, I remember, had short sleeve nylon shirt with sweat patches all over. So I walked in and the Italians say that a, a building's got speaking stones and we say it's got a warm ghost. And I just fell in love with this building. And then I got chatting to the barman and I was in the quake bar. And this is a quake. And I got fascinated. And you obviously, being Scottish, you know the Scots play the Irish for the quake cup in rugby. And Celtic to English, it means a cup of friendship, a cup of love. So when people stop fighting, they drink from this. You know, my poison's yours. I'm holding it with two hands. Don't stab me. And it had a thousand whiskies in this quake bar. And I thought, oh, my God, this is, this is unbelievable. And the hotel dates back to 1703. It's the oldest drovers in, in Speyside. And 70% of whiskey are in a 20-mile radius. And I just got embroiled in this huge fascination and then I thought going back to my night job as there I was trying to come up with creative concepts for a consumer and trying to be ahead of the game and it's really really difficult because as you get older your clientele stay the same age and it's difficult to really understand what 18 to 25 year olds want if you're in your 40s and especially as you're married with kids but I realized that this had provenance and authenticity which money can't buy you know, it's a 300-year-old building with Charles Doig extended it um, in 1893, a wooden frame over. And when I then understood a little bit more about Speyside, I realised that five Walpole businesses are in Speyside and with a population of only 82,000 people. So you suddenly think, that's unbelievable. I mean, that it, it's staggering, the creativity up here. And you look at Jim Walker, you know, Walker Shortbread, and you've got, Baxter's and you've got Johnson's of Elgin and as well as all the whiskies and right opposite I'm in the Quake Bar now is McCallum and if you think the River Spey is like a, a high street like Bond Street you've got luxury Prada, Gucci, Cartier you've got luxury whiskey houses all down this incredible river and it's God's high street so um, I said to Peter you know you're sitting on something phenomenal I don't know what it is but he said look I don't want to get involved why don't you buy it and I couldn't get any finance so I mortgaged everything sent the kids out to chimney sweep and um to buy it and it's been probably out of everything and anything I've done my most joyous and and most rewarding and the the challenge was I, I wanted to try and employ as many local people as possible because I wanted them to have pride in the region they come from you know if you go to Champagne you know, the, you, they would be learning about it. They'd learn about the wines and, and the, the produce. So I wanted, you know, young people to have that opportunity um, to learn about it. So if they ever wanted to go to Edinburgh or Glasgow or further afield, they had knowledge in the back, background. And my mother, being a, a teacher, said, you've got to teach, don't preach. And if you teach, it gives somebody confidence so they can walk into any any environment and, have, you know, have their chin up but what we then did was when I bought it I just thought this used to be the locals local and it was only the pub downstairs which big thick stone walls being the drovers it and 
I thought the locals aren't coming, which is wrong, you know. And so for me, a pub is the heart of the community. And it's where old, young, people who have money, people that don't have money come together. People think the British are a class obsessed and there is that hierarchy. But the one thing we have is people go to the pub and whatever background you've got, you can drink in the same place as somebody else from a, a, a different background. No one's higher, no one's lower, in my opinion. Everyone's on a on a, on a level. Um, you just happen to be in different ponds. But that's the beauty of different people coming, a melange of different backgrounds and ages actually being under one roof. And then it kicks off. And I much prefer that to any nightclub I did where, you know, at Whiskey Mist, you could... So you can only sit there if you spend 1,500 quid on that table, which uh, there's something about a meritocracy, but then if you're only judged on how much money you've got, that's vulgar and that's really not in my DNA. So I just like the idea of somebody drinking a pint of tenants for, for five quid. So we made sure that when we opened it, we made sure that tenants was cheaper than any other place around here because word of mouth for me is far more important if somebody goes back to the to the factory and they go some London lag came up I bet it's just going to be a bit flash Harry and it's not for us and they go somebody else who might have a, a, a positive attribute will go oh no 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 they've, they've, they've got tenants yeah but I bet it's expensive no no it's cheap it's you know 10 bob cheaper than than down the road and they become your ambassadors and I was trying to come up with a name for the pub and I saw in a bar this thing around there it was in the connell and i saw this thing on the bar as a they call it in the drinks industry a point of sale at this point in our chat pierre showed me what you could describe as a copper tube about five inches long with a cork in the top that had a silver chain attached to it it is fondly known as a copper dog and i read the story of what a copper dog was and a copper dog is this where it's a homemade tube where distillery workers would prepare it, go into work, down their trouser leg. And when the bosses weren't watching, put it in the cask, smuggle it down their trouser leg and go home and and drink it. Distillery bosses used to give people a dram in the morning, a dram at 11 o'clock and a dram at lunchtime, hoping they wouldn't steal, but it didn't stop them liberating the spirit, shall we say. So... And it was called a copper dog because it was always by his side, a man's best friend. And I thought that's such a lovely name for a pub because everyone in the region knows what a copper dog is and it's not intimidating and it's not a, a word that you would find difficult to, to pronounce. And it's just a little bit of being a rascal. And the people around here, ever since I've come here, have just been so welcoming. They've just been just fantastic, especially... Sir James Walker. When I first came up, I thought, how do I engage the businesses to come and use the hotel? And the manager then said, oh, we've got you a a meeting with Jim Walker, as he was back then. And I thought, oh my God, I've probably got 10 minutes to say, we'd love you to use our hotel for corporate guests and we'll give you a corporate rate. And I thought I'd be in and out. Three hours later, I'm there eating orange chocolate, Walker shortbread, this thing, that thing. And I could not have had a more welcoming introduction. And the family have been unbelievably supportive. And, 
he's probably one of the greatest ambassadors for Speyside and what he's achieved from being born above a baker shop in Abilau, which is the next village, to create a global luxury brand is is quite phenomenal. So no wonder he was knighted. I was going to ask you more about, about the Kregelike. So obviously it, you stayed there, it wasn't a nice experience, but you've elevated it. So what were your sort of inspirations for the interiors and, and how, like for anyone that's never been, like what's the general vibe of it now, like for when you sort of arrive? That's a really good question. I, I just thought I wanted to create something which was home from home. And I know that's an overused cliche, but I didn't want to intimidate people. And it's so so beautiful and natural around here. But as you've been here, there's a road that takes it out. So it's quite, it's, it's an industrial village. It's not leafy and sort of in 10,000 acres. And when I told my wife I bought it and she thought we would have got a castle, when she came up, she went, is, is that it? But again, she fell in love with it. So the inspiration behind it was we just wanted to use the natural tweeds and the cashmeres, which is done in, in the mills at Johnson. And they were fantastic. And then we redid the Quake Bar, but we used a local chap who handcrafted all of this from the oak round here. And the inspiration for this bar was, if you put an incredible piece of art on the wall, it's after two, three times of looking at it, you forget it. But when you look at the whiskey and what these people produce they're different shape bottles they're different colors they're different labels that's art and the people that create and distill these things are, are, are phenomenal so i think the inspiration was to try and keep it as natural as possible with local materials nice and uh, so you've, you've you bought it you did it up and then you had one absolutely amazing sounding opening party with quite a lot of famous faces can you talk to us a little bit about that what that was like yeah i think it was it was so it was, well, we just made sure, I don't think Speyside had, had ever seen the light, but um, a very good friend of mine asked if she could host a great friend of hers and about 30, 40 people came up from London for the weekend. So I don't think there was much sleep going on, but it was interesting because it was, they could have gone anywhere in the world for that birthday party. It was the 40th, you know, there was Kate Moss, there was Noel Gallagher, there was Bobby Gillespie from Primal Screen. It was the sort of great and cool of, of British popular culture here. And they all fell in love with it, you know, because there is a simplicity and just a gentleness about it. And it's it's real. It's not, I don't want it to be pretentious. And the staff being so young and just enthusiastic add to that consumer experience. So, yeah, it was a great night. And it was thanks to that that um, we launched Copper Dog because we managed to get bottles of Copper Dog and put them in, in, in everybody's room. And so, that yeah, this is the, your whiskey. The, so the bar is called Copper Dog, but also there's a whiskey called Copper Dog as well. Yeah. So there are two bars in here. There's the pub on the ground floor, and which is called the Copper Dog. And then upstairs, this is the Quake Bar. So we're talking about the whiskey. If you could just tell us a little bit about the whiskey, if anyone's not tried it. Well, what we try to do is play true to the story of what a Copper Dog is. And the idea would be that eight friends would go from the, their different distilleries and they would come in and mix it here. And we tried to go back in the archives of what possibly a blend would have been. And I didn't really know much about whiskey at all. I know even less now, but I, I know I enjoy drinking it. 
but I met this master blender right at the beginning and I said, excuse me, how, you know, how should one drink one's whiskey? And he went, any effing way you want. And I thought, that's unbelievable to hear because it can be so intimidating and yet it's an incredible liquid. And the art is in a blend. It's not just a single malt. Most people now think, oh, I've got to get a single malt. I've got to get... But the, the, the talent to take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and, you know, to, to blend it in one. So I think because of the Scottish Whiskey Association, we can't call it anything other than a blended whiskey or a blend. But it really is, for me, thinking more romantically, it's a marrying of different liquids. But it's eight Speyside malts in one, and it won two gold stars at San Francisco. But I had nothing to do with it. There's an incredible chap at Diageo that did it, Stuart Morrison, who's now, I think, one of the lead blenders at Johnny Walker. And I just said, let's create a British Jack Daniels because, you know, some of these drinks are, well, my American mate who I then kept in touch with from Starwood, he had his stag do here. And I thought, let's do a British Jack Daniels, as I said. And he said, he came over and he went, I love the story, I love the provenance, I love the location, but finally there's a Scotch you can pronounce. So I think that for a younger consumer is makes it, again, less intimidating. And you should just drink it, you know, dog and coat or a ginger dog or um, just, I like the mad dog, which is just the shop. <laughs> Not to be confused with MD2020. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> uh, I like the apple dog. That's my favourite. I actually now drink whiskey and apple juice because of that. Do you really? Yeah. And in bars, people are like, what? But I think it's so good. <laughs> Do you use the Carlton one? But actually, if you use Appletizer, I feel yeah. that can be an, a, a session one. I like that. Yeah, it's good. We're talking about whiskey. You're in Speyside. The Spirit Speyside Festival is coming up. Um, how do you feel like it's... What has it brought to the area over the years? Like, What are your thoughts on the Spirit Speyside? Again, if I had never been up here, I would just think it's just full of bearded geeks and just not something that I wouldn't necessarily want to go to. But when you're here, it really is the equivalent of the Oscars or the Cannes Film Festival. And you suddenly realise that this is a huge passion for people globally. And whiskey is exported to 188 countries. So it's quite a phenomenon. And it's a celebration of, of everything that's around here. And it's the whiskey and it's other... And the whole community comes together and... Um, it's fantastic. There's loads of different things going on every, you know, different distilleries or, or other events. But people do converge on here um, at about 11 o'clock. So I'm in practice, shall we say. I've started drinking so I could be match fit for the Space Art <laughs> Festival. Yeah, because for a while you guys had the um, Dog Fest, the festival sort of in, outside, just part of Spirit of Space Aids. Yeah. So we had that, the dog fest in the car park outside, which as you just alluded to. And then we decided to have a bit of fun. So we had um, an alternative dog show. So it was who was the best dressed dog, which dog looked most like their owner, which dog had the biggest ears. And we had some quite interesting judges. We had a lovely chap called Brian Dorham, who was chair of the River Spay, and he's wonderful old gent. And he used to fly Concorde, but he took it really seriously, this, this dog thing. So um, it's just a bit of space-side eccentricity, really. And with the so the hotel's dog-friendly, you've also got your copper dog, the bar, which you've explained in the whiskey. Were dogs part of the hotel because of the name of the bar and the whiskey, or is it 
you know, was it always going to be quite a sort of dog friendly place? Because it's quite a big, big part of things. I think it's, again, I think it's coincidental. It wasn't contrived. I mean, I just, knowing people that go away, they look to think, can I take our dog? And I didn't realise how popular dogs are, because I haven't had a dog since I was a little boy. But, you know, when I was asked at the beginning, should we make it dog friendly? And I went, why not? Why have any barrier to entry? Why stop people coming because you can't have a dog? And I think, you know, nine years, we've only had one complaint about a dog making noise. Wow, that's good. So I love it. And it just, again, the one that we finally got a, a dog for my boys back home. The amount of people you start talking to because you've got a dog, it's yeah. quite extraordinary. I didn't realise so it's great when you see people with the dogs and they start chatting to each other at the table or down in reception. So, yeah, it was coincidental that it was the cop dog. But having said that, there's a very famous artist called Hugo Guinness, who's part of the Guinness family, that drew this, which is a spaniel. And he's renowned for doing illustrations of, of animals, particularly dogs. So that is a spaniel, which is a typical dog for around here for fish and sporting dog. But he's also done... 20 other dogs so you might not necessarily have a spaniel what dog have you got i've got a cockapoo so i've got a mix you between a, a cocker spaniel oh, well, and a cockapoo yes yeah, so <laughs> ros you could have your cockapoo on there oh. and what's his or her name archie ah so you could have ross and archie with your cockapoo and a personalized oh, thing that's a good christmas present i'll, I'll start dropping i'll start dropping hints now <laughs> yeah just to kind of go back a little bit to your nightclub days and creating the iconic venues that you have. And you've mentioned as well that when you first started out, it was the 80s mass unemployment and high inflation, kind of what we have now. What are your thoughts on the nighttime economy now and all the challenges facing it? And, and what do you think the kind of future holds? Do you know what? I'm normally quite a temperate person, but I get absolutely livid on this because, you know, young people need to go out. And for me, a nightclub is a celebration of three major industries. It's most importantly, the music, the drinking and fashion. You know, people dress up to go to a club. People dress up to go to a club to dance. People dress up to dance and have a drink. And I started seeing just before COVID clubs getting out of fashion because people could stay in a bar till one o'clock and they'd be thinking, why do I need to go to a nightclub? But you then think of the music that we produce and our music is one of, I think only five industries where exports are four times larger. So I love, I love a nightclub. I love people getting together. I love watching people try to flirt and fail miserably. And that happened to me all my life. And I'd end up in a kebab shot on the way home, but I'd had more fun on those things. And it's about experiences so I just started seeing it fall off. And then the restrictions and the rules and over-regulations on it and it almost being the youth being sort of shunned that nightclubs are a dreadful thing. They're not. It's just part of an evolution of, of, of youth. And I think it's making it harder and harder and harder. And it employs a lot of people. And if you're a young person working in a bar or a club it's a great way to meet people and it's a great way to learn experience and confidence in interacting. So I think the more challenges they put up, I get very angry about it. There were certain landlords, especially in London, that were just brutal. Rents go up, rates go up, everything. And it just, 
it makes it tougher and tougher and tougher. So I've got huge empathy for the bar, nightclub and leisure sector, for sure. And what do you think, I mean, what do you think the future holds in the sense that, I mean, I think a lot of young people aren't drinking as much and, like you say, maybe not going out as much. Do you think there'll be, like, eventually, like, a renaissance and you'll see places like, you know, Mahiki and Whiskey Miss as what you had come back? Or do you think we might go back to, like, underground, like, illegal raves, like, in the 80s? Like, what do you what do you think might happen? Or, or do you think it's kind of going to die off? I think things were becoming to become too sanitised. I think youth will always want to go out and meet others, but it's expensive to go out. So I really think underground stuff will come back and it's just cyclical. You know, I was chatting to my cousin's daughters in their 20s and they don't go out. And if they do go out, they'll take a, a flask and smuggle something into, into the pub because it's so expensive. So I think people are going out less and less, but in London you're seeing the strong survive, but the places in suburban places are really dying a death but i think people always find a way to interact and you can never ever stop that you know one-on-one or going to a house party or having a bit of a laugh at somebody's house what are your future plans for either the hotel or any sort of lunches or things coming up i mean mostly we're in first of february so we've got the whole rest of this year to look forward to so what, what have you got planned i'm looking to contract everything and do something around Craig Ellicky. And I see Speyside as a luxury valley, which I said, you know, the Champagne or Sancerre. So we're looking to bring out our own spirits. We bring out a Speyfly gin, Speyfly vodka. Um, we've obviously got Copper Dog. We're going to bring out a local beer, a local cider. but And then we'll do the soft drinks, the space odours. So we've unmothballed a water plant, which produces all the uh, the whiskey. So 60% of whiskey is, is water from the River Spey or Speyside Glenlivet. So we've done a range of flavoured waters, which are fizzy. So that will go in to a whiskey or your gin or your vodka. And then we're doing a candle. But I want to do things really slowly. I, you know, probably my age. I, I don't want to be a roadrunner anymore. I just want to do things at my own pace. But I think that People come here and they want to go away with, a, you know, a Craig Ellicky candle or a scarf and that sort of thing. So really just getting rid of other things that I might have going on in my life and just focusing really on Craig Ellicky. Because if I look at the pinball, 35,000 people a year come into this place either to sleep or to, to eat. And the pinboard of the map of where people come from is extraordinary. So it's a really well-known area and I think that typically people don't take pride in where they come from they take it for granted but it's massive in America it's huge in in other parts of the world and France Germany and so just building a small space like lifestyle brand working with local manufacturers and, and producers nice well thank you very much for your time Piers and we'll hopefully see you in Speyside soon thank you well no thank you you've been unbelievably kind and, and supportive of the hotel and anyone listening to this just mention your name Ros and they'll get friends and family right oh don't say that because my, my, my friends and family will be right up there <laughs> thank you no honestly thank you so much and I'm very flattered that you think that I should be listen to so again many thanks thank you 
Thanks to Piers for being my guest on this episode and thanks to you too for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss an episode of Scran. Scran is a laudable podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Ros and Derskin, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton.